You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Joined by my co-host today, Joey Yikes, and we are working off a 20-17 Dallas Cowboys victory over the Los Angeles Chargers in week six, and we are heading into the bye week. Uh, Joey did the impossible last week and recorded an entire podcast by himself, which is horrible, but I had some things going on that I'd take care of around the house, and he stepped up big and and did it solo, uh, so I appreciate him doing that, but we're back together this week. Uh, to talk about the 20 to 17 victory over the Chargers and some of the pros and cons of this team as it heads into its first bye week, which is a must need, much needed bye week, getting this team healthy and uh, hopefully making some small adjustments and getting them back on track for the uh, the home stretch. Uh, we're going to talk about all that today. But before we get started, Joey, how you doing? Um, I'm good, man. It's uh, you know, I I did a lot of podcast episodes solo whenever I was doing the Aggie podcast, so it's uh, it's something I've got a, a lot of reps doing, and so was was happy to be able to do it last week and, and kind of get a little bit of self therapy as we worked our way through last week and everything that that was. But glad to be coming off of a win this week. It's always more fun when the team wins, and uh, and I'm glad, like I told you just a minute ago before we started, I'm glad that we don't have to spend this week and the bye week talking about the uh about the team losing two in a row and being 500 going into the bye and the stretch of teams they have afterwards etc absolutely and i mean again like you know there's still a lot of things i think a lot of whether you want to call them negatives or things that they need to fix like that's we're going to talk about those as well but yeah obviously being four and two compared to three and three sounds and feels a whole lot better especially when you have san francisco and philly drop some games this week that you really didn't expect them to. So that helps things out a lot. Um, I think it also proves that, yeah, you know, it's, it's still any given Sunday and anything can happen. Um, But yeah, let's, let's get into this one. So 2017, um, I think me and you are both going to have very similar feels on this game. And then we'll, we'll kind of get into some things that we, we want to, you know, see maybe cleaned up or changed or done different over the bye week but um, a big shout out to the quarterback and, C.D. Lamb, I think they were the two best players on the field all night. Um, they made plays on third down that a lot of quarterbacks and receivers probably would not. Um, they had the big play of Tony Pollard that really kind of put them in the the way to win the game. Um, defense was 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 pretty damn good after that first series. I think they we'll, we'll get into this stuff in a little bit. I think that. Justin Herbert made that that line for the defense look a little bit better than it could have been if he hits a couple throws late there. But uh, 
all in all, like I said, defense kind of got itself together and played pretty good football for for the most part of that game and the quarterback and your uh, wide receiver one um, wheeled that team to victory, I guess is the way to say it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's <clears throat> the, you know, where, where do I start? So with, with Justin Herbert, it was it was interesting because there were several plays in that game that there's only maybe two-ish other quarterbacks in the league that make those plays. You know, like in the grasp, no legs involved in the throw, 30-yard darts down the field to convert long long yardage <laughs> down in distance, right? Um, and then there are some plays that if – this team's quarterback missed those throws, or if some of the other team's quarterbacks missed those throws, it would be an indictment of that quarterback's ability to, you know, to play the position. But Justin Herbert has um, almost unmatched physical capabilities when it comes to throwing the football and playing the quarterback position. So <clears throat> those sorts of things don't get talked about as much with him. Whereas, if Dak Prescott missed Keenan Allen twice and the Cowboys lost the, or if he missed CD lamb, the way Justin Herbert missed Keenan Allen twice in that game on huge plays. Um, the only thing that we would be talking that media folks would be talking about the next week would be how Dak Prescott couldn't make the big throw and how it cost the Cowboys the game. Despite all of the other things that took place in that game. We don't um, have to say if, because it literally had, they lost by, 30,000 last week and he missed the second throw of the game to Jake uh Luke Schoonmaker up the scene that would have been And that's what people were talking about exactly. Yes. Right, like that that's the play that everybody highlighted. You can't miss those if you're the, that type of guy and it's like we're talking about the second play of a game for 20 yards compared to two touchdowns pretty much from Herbert and it's like Yeah. No, not even close to the same. So that's fine. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> point. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and then, you know, Dak played out of his mind. Um, Dak, or I say Dak played out of his mind. Dak played the way that folks like you and I who believe in him as a quarterback, we have seen him do that so often that there's a reason why we consistently believe in who he is as a quarterback. Uh, and that that was it, right? And so – the ability to play on the move was something that I'll be honest, I was starting to worry about a little yeah, bit the no way doubt. he had played earlier in the year that if, if that part of his game had gone away and he was legitimately only a stand in the pocket and deliver the ball quarterback. Um, if this is an offense that isn't going to be designed extremely well, which I think you and I agree. And I think just about, just about anybody who knows anything, thing about designing offense at the NFL level agrees it's not a well-designed offense at this point. No. Um, so so if it's not a well-designed offense and if Dak Prescott was not going to be able to play outside of that structure, then this offense was going to be limited regardless of how good Dak is at operating in structure, which he is extremely good. Um, but if he wasn't going to be able to get out of that structure, it was going to be hard for them to create big plays. Um, and we saw exactly what happened. Dak's break, Dak breaks the structure, <clears throat> breaks out of the pocket, throws the ball back across the middle of the field to a wide open Tony Pollard who makes one person miss. And now it turns into a sprint. And the funny thing is, if you're in some stadiums where there's a jumbotron in the end zone, he probably scores because he sees the guy coming and could kind of veer away from him. 
but because you're in that stadium where the ring is up above you and you can't see anything, <laughs> he's just running straight trying to take yeah. the quickest path to the end zone, and the guy catches him because he's right behind him. But uh, but but you needed Dak to show he could still play out of structure and create big plays that way, and he did it over and over and over and over and over. And there's still some plays where Dak breaks the pocket, and you'd love to see him get out there and just – know when the journey is over for a play yeah. and flick the ball out of bounds and save the five or six yards and not take uh I think JT O'Sullivan calls them Elvis Gerback sacks because I think yeah. he said Mike McCarthy taught him that. <laughs> or you get out of the pocket, you break the pocket, you break contain of the pass rush and still get sacked. Yeah. Um and so it, you would love to see him not take those sacks. But I would rather see him take a sack there than an interception or try to make a throw get the get his arm hit and you know whatever happens there so uh, we're, we're nitpicking a little bit on that stuff but overall he played incredibly he as you said pretty much willed this team to victory when the 12 million dollar supposed to be wide receiver two is just a disaster right now and the offensive line is playing okay but they're not getting anything in the run game they're still getting their feet underneath them playing as a unit in the running game and so they're they're not really getting much of anything outside of Dak Prescott throwing the ball to CeeDee Lamb and occasionally to Jake Ferguson. And then, you know, Tony Pollard making a big play in the passing game once or twice a game. And other than that, they're not getting anything from anybody. And Dak just willed them to to 20 points and the defense played well enough and got the got the stop at the end that they needed to get. And they they got a 20 to 17 win. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like. I don't people are probably listening to this and be like, you know, I feel like we're all talking about the bad stuff after a 20 to 17 win, and we don't want it to be that way. But it honestly, if we're being completely honest, and that's our that's how we're gonna do this show, is like there's still a lot of like honestly, there's probably more negatives than there are positives to take away from that game for especially from the offensive side, even though we just talked about how well the quarterback played and the wide receiver one played, because outside of those two guys, Jake Ferguson had one reception on two targets. Brandon Cooks was three for 36, I want to say it was, with a touchdown. But even, like, he got involved more this game than we've seen him again, but nothing was easy for him. A lot of it was, you know, the touchdown pass was just a very low percentage throw that they dropped in a bucket. And, uh, you know, it's still nothing – again, we said it a few weeks ago, but nothing's feeling easy right now. Like, the the Brandon Cooks touchdown is a perfect example. Like, you're on the two-yard line – I want to say it was second and goal from the two yard line and, or I think it was from second and first and goal from the four and they ran for two yards. And then like, you know, I'd sent out a tweet, like let's do something creative here. And Tony, thank God for Tony Pollard and pass protection. He lays a great block to give Dak that extra second, let him kind of drift back and buy Brandon cooks a little time to create a little separation, but very low, low percentage throw there to, for the touchdown, but they were able to connect on it. But just even in the red zone, I mean, they had to go, go – the zone read touchdown was on was on fourth down, you know, so it's just like it still feels like they're kind of beating their head against the wall to do anything productive. And you mentioned Michael Gallup. I mean, I've, I've been on the Michael Gallup might be done train for like two and a half years now. Like even before the injury, we were seeing a player not play as well as he had been. So I think we're, we're kind of past due there. Um, I definitely think we want to – see some more Jalen Tolbert, maybe even some more Jalen Brooks at this point, just to see if there's anything better there. I mean, every time they run that guy on a slant right now, he's getting absolutely bullied off the line, bullied at the top of the route. 
and every throw into a slant window to Michael Gallup's like a 50-50 ball that's the defender's winning the route. Um, and he's and not winning those down. Those are so dangerous, too. Yes, those are yes, incredibly absolutely. dangerous throws, yeah. So, so you don't want to keep making those low percentage throws to him. He's not winning down the field. I mean, the, I know people point to the, the, the ball that, you know, they say Dak sailed it to the touchdown but, or, or in the end zone. But, man, like an NFL caliber receiver catches that football seven out of ten times, I'd say. Like it was – You're talking about the one he dropped? No, 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 no. That one's an absolute drop. I'm talking about the one that was – Oh, the one before that one. It was like yeah, a, post, okay. uh, a deep yeah. post or something. That he, I mean, he threw it. It was a little high. Don't get me wrong. Like, it, you know, it wasn't like it was a dime right on the money. But, I mean, man, like leave your feet, you know, catch the – get the hands up. Like it, it went in between his hands. He just didn't get up high enough and it, you know, wasn't able to really stick it. But you're just – he's not providing much of anything – in the the passing game right now and that's just it, it's frustrating because he's seeing a lot of targets he's seeing a lot of playing time and the production and that he's putting on the field isn't matching and it's you know I'm not saying that Jalen Tolbert's going to be a world beater by any means but I just I think that he's hurting you more than he's helping you right now and it, it's just frustrating to kind of see them keep going back to that well and keep giving him a lot of targets when he's not cashing in on any of those opportunities really yeah and you know Michael Gallup is a very interesting case study, and we've we've got a bye week this week, so we can you know expand on some of this stuff, right? He's a very interesting case study in the idea of whether players get better or worse after they get paid, or whether they just stay the same player. Um, and a lot of people have said, "Oh, Michael Gallup's getting worse." This is who Michael Gallup has been his entire career. Yeah, it, the the thing that made Michael Gallup. I don't want to say useful, that, but maybe useful on an NFL field or valuable on an NFL field was early in his career, his ability to go down the field and win balls in the air and make big plays. But his entire career, he has been a 50 to 55% catch rate player, which means targets to him have always been low efficiency. His career success rate, is 48 and a half, which means that passes to him are only successful plays or positive plays 48 and a half percent of the time. This is who Michael Gallup has always been. They just don't have the, but now for some reason, oh, I, I know the reason because of the design of the offense, he can't get off the line of scrimmage. And because he can't get off the line of scrimmage, he can't win down the field. And because he can't win down the field on those routes, uh, or because he just hasn't hit, they haven't hit those routes yet, it looks like he's he's putting up less numbers. The thing is, this is always who he is. And whenever they signed him to the long-term contract, I, I said it then. I distinctly remember it staying when you sign this guy to a long-term contract, the front office and the fan base is going to expect him to be a different player than he has been, and he's not going to be. And right. you're setting yourself up for a year and a half, two years from now, being extremely disappointed with that contract. And and here we are. And Michael Gallup is a fine player for his role in an offense. He is a high-variance number three wide receiver. Um, but right now they are giving him targets like he is a high-efficiency, um, consistent weapon wide receiver, too. And 
it's just a it's it's not it's not working out very well um at this point in time at all what um let's talk about the offensive line a little bit you you briefly mentioned it um i mean obviously a a horrible day on the ground running the football they couldn't really get much of anything going on the ground um but I thought this was probably the worst performance in pass protection too this year. I think they've been relatively good. Like a lot of people blame some of the lack of passing game. Oh, the offense line sucks. And I, I really didn't agree with that. I think the offense line has been pretty solid. It's just this quick timing, get the ball out passing game is, you know, if the first read's not open, you're either forcing that, you know, because it's such a timing based offense, you're either forcing the ball into a not, you know, a very high percentage window or you're, you know, scrambling and trying to make something happen outside of that um but this this week I felt like they did adjust the game plan a little bit I'm still frustrated with some of the designs and concepts that they're using but they did seem to like target some of that deeper middle and maybe the you know enter the deep outside a little bit more than they had been over the first few weeks but man like it was it did seem like every time they had kind of dialed it up to take a little bit of a shot because we know this team isn't taking huge shots, but their, their version of their shots, it felt like there was a lot of pressure. He was, you know, trying to roll into sacks, roll out of sacks. Um, you know, he took some, took some bad ones like we talked about, but is there some concern there at the offense line, especially now that they do have all their guys back in what we assume to be healthy. It just seems like we thought maybe this, this would be progressing and kind of seems like it's regressing right now. And they are playing, don't get me wrong, they are playing two really good, you know, edge rushers over the last couple of weeks and two good fronts in San Francisco and the Chargers. But felt like definitely I was expecting a little bit more from this group going into week two together uh, after a rocky week one against San Francisco. Yeah, I think that the offensive line is interesting because you talked about the how how much quick game they're running right now. And against some teams, you know, San Francisco basically, you know, lined up in press and said, you can't get open on us. And they couldn't. <laughs> and then and then L.A. played the way L.A. plays, where they lined their DBs up six, seven yards off the ball and basically said, OK, we're just going to match all your quick game routes and you're just going to run right into us. And that's a, essentially exactly what happened in the quick game. And if Dak hadn't been, you know, Houdini for most of the night, um, it would have it would have worked extremely well. Um, now, like you said, they did they ran some more things with layered routes over the middle of the field this week. Um, they were able to hit CD Lamb on one um, or very early in the game, first drive of the game or second drive of the game, uh, and then they ran one on the ball that. Um, that Gallup dropped, they had a layered, uh, like a high-low over the middle with Ferguson and Cooks, and Ferguson was the deeper guy, and he was open there, but, I mean, Gallup was open for a touchdown. You take that throw, um, and it, it should have been a touchdown. But um, but So they did a little bit more in terms of attacking different areas of the field this week, and every week they dial up two or three big play-action shots. They haven't hit one yet, partially because I don't really like the way they're – I don't necessarily like the way that they're designing the routes downfield on these shot plays. No. Um, but so from my perspective, that's part of the reason they're not being successful. Um, but they haven't hit one of those yet. Um, but they, they did some things attacking different areas of the field this week. 
but they're still they're still they're still very static they're still very um you know basic whatever however you want to word it um i think from the offensive line standpoint i think terrence still is struggling he's struggling rough it's it's um, been a rough start yeah man. yeah it, he's struggling who knows if it's the fact that he may or may not be you know 100% all the way back from the knee who who knows he's struggling a little bit he's getting beat too often too easily in pass protection right now um and then there he's not he hasn't been the super dominant run blocker that he's been he hasn't been bad the run blocking stuff is so this is why running the ball is not efficient because one guy not getting to their guy, one guy, especially, you know, they're running a ton of gap scheme stuff, pulling guys, et cetera. One, one down block missing blows up the whole play. One, the puller not pulling into the right gap blows up the whole play. Uh, and it could be a different thing every single play. This is why so many coaches leaned away from gap scheme runs for so long is because it's, a lot harder to teach because you, you have to change the way you block it versus different fronts, um, all these sorts of things. And it, it just seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues in the running game right now that are very hard to nail down. So you're kind of playing whack-a-mole a little bit. I don't think any of them are like, Oh my gosh, they're never going to be able to run the ball because you see, you know, you see Tyler Smith blow dudes off the ball. You see Tyron Smith pull around the corner and look, you know, five years younger than he is running around the corner, blowing up cornerbacks on pitches. You see this stuff and you're like, okay, they still have it, but they've got to put it together in the running game. Um, and luckily they've got a couple of tight ends that can actually block this year. Um, and I think as they play together more and more, the, the run blocking will get better. Um, I think a lot of the pass blocking stuff is, is coming from that right side. Um, and I also think a lot of it is coming from running a ton of quick game and nobody being open and Dak having to hold on to the ball. And so when you run quick game, the offensive line is protecting, assuming that the ball is coming out. They're not sitting there pass proing to be ready to pass protect for three and a half seconds on a three-step drop. They're expecting the ball to be out in like a second and a half. And so they're blocking that way. When you, and this is how Aaron Rodgers got hurt. You throw a quick game play, the offensive line blocks like it's quick game. And the Jets like to cut guys on quick game play, pass plays. You block a guy for a, a second and a half. The ball is supposed to come out. The quarterback holds on to the ball. And now I'm out of position. The quarterback tries to run a different direction, get out of the pocket. And now everything kind of goes haywire. Um, and I think we're seeing some of that where guys aren't open. So Dak's folding the ball. And then there's pressure. But uh, the offensive line stuff, I think, is it's a lot of factors because it's a lot of players. Um but uh, I think most of it comes back to the idea that they're running too much quick game um, and they're running it. They're running very basic quick game without doing anything to help spring guys open early. So you're just depending on guys to win one-on-one -on -one in these routes. And it's really hard to do that in the NFL. It's really hard. That's why all these coaches run all this motion and shifts and stacks and bunches and all this stuff is because it's really hard for wide receivers to line up and win on time over and over and over again. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. 
As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's 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 been a it's been a struggle for sure. And and again, I think we've talked about this on the show a lot. Like, I I, I don't want to play. You know, you can point some finger at the quarterback. You can point some finger at the protection. You can point some finger at the receivers. You can point some fingers at the play caller. So that like that's the frustrating part is like a lot of times when you have these struggles, you can just go, "Hey, Mac Jones, you're not playing well." You know, "Hey, you know, whoever's not calling the right plays." And like, I think there's a little bit of this from everyone, you know, like you're not having your receivers win enough. You're not having your quarterback um, play to that elite level that can make up for a lot of the stuff that we're, we just talked about. Like, I think that's what you, I think if you want to say something negative about the court outside of the game last week against the chargers, you know, that I thought he played to that elite level to make up for a lot of the other discombobulation. Like, you haven't seen him play to that level throughout the first few weeks to where, you know, when the Arizona game was tight and the designs weren't good and the receivers weren't winning and Arizona had a better game plan than you could. He just, you know, maybe he didn't do the things well enough to overcome it all, but we shouldn't be asking our quarterback to be overcoming this many things every week. I think that's where we're both at with some of the game plan and uh, play calling and design stuff is it just seems like you're, you're asking your quarterback to be perfect and, I mean, I think he was, I'm not going to say he was perfect on Monday night, but he was pretty damn close to it. And without him being that way, they probably lose this game, you know, and especially if Justin Herbert hits a couple of those passes he misses, they might lose that game by two possessions. And, you know, we're going into the week talking about how the quarterback's not good enough, how the play calling's still stale, and how this team's not very good. Um, but let, I want to talk a little bit of positivity before we close it out because I want to spend a few minutes solely on Mike McCarthy offense coordinator play design like where we're at with that because we're we're you know six seven weeks in at this point and things aren't really improving you know I don't think it's going to be a change in play call or anything like that but just kind of give us a minute or two to vent our frustrations with what's really happening but um let's talk about the defense kind of turning around and some of these guys who played really well Marquise Bell I think Damone Clark had a had his best game of the year and a game they needed him to with LVE going out uh, Michael Parsons came up big, was pressuring the quarterback. Demarcus Lawrence, uh, Deron Bland made some plays, even though he did get beat on some of those, those uh, throws that Herbert missed. Uh, Stephon Gilmore came back after an up-and-down game and sealed the game. Um, I felt like, for the most part, most of your defense had a much better game. You know, some of the safeties still a little, little up-and-down disappointing. Um, but I think the defense – 
figured some things out, kind of got it going. They had some help because the quarterback wasn't as good as he normally is. But uh, let's talk about some of the, the good things the defense did um, that uh, Monday night because they were, they only sacked Herbert once, you know, in third, fourth quarter of the game tight. People are complaining on the defense about where's the pressure, but they pressured him a ton throughout that game. They were able to get him off his mark, move him off his spot, make him force some, you know, bad decisions, make him miss on some easy decisions um, because of the pressure that they were bringing. So I want to give a shout, big shout out to the the front four, the front seven, really, because I think Dan Quinn did some pretty cool things with his blitz packages this game. So really, really good game from the pass rush. I think they did a lot of good things um, and a really good job from the run defense, something we've talked about. And it's been kind of a roller coaster ride with those guys. We've seen them be really, really good. We've seen them be really, really bad. Uh, but they came back out with Austin Eckler showing back up for the first time in a couple weeks. Um, kind of expecting maybe the Chargers to maybe try to get the run going because of how, you know, I guess inconsistent this Cowboys run defense is. But they completely shut down the Chargers running game. Um, and while there were some plays on the field, left on the field for the Chargers passing game, they did a pretty good job of equalizing that as well. So good game for the defense after a really, really rough game uh, against the 49ers last week. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the pass rush was well, – whether you want to call it back or however you want to call it, the pass rush was effective. Uh, they they put a ton of pressure on Justin Herbert. And like I said at the very start of the show, there were some throws and some plays in that game that Justin Herbert made that were completions for big gains that with any other quarterback in the league, except for maybe Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, <laughs> Those are not only not big gains, they're probably sacks. Like, I'm talking in the grasp, no legs, throw down the field, big gain type plays. And there were several throwaways where he was in the grasp and threw the ball away. And the, the officials are being a little bit more um, lenient within the grasp type situations because of the way these quarterbacks are playing right now, which is good. It's fine. Um, but – I think the pass rush was fine. The pass rush was effective. The numbers weren't there. The um, the flashy impact of the sack, fumble, recover, go score, touchdown type play wasn't there. But, you know, I believe it was Demarcus Lawrence. Maybe it was Dante Fowler hits Justin Herbert's arm and makes him complete, makes him underthrow a ball by about 20 yards. That may have been a big play completion down the field. You know, Micah Parsons gets the big sack at the end of the game, then gets the pressure on the very next play that leads to the interception. Um, Osa was really good. Demarcus Lawrence was really good. Like, these guys played really well. Um, to me, the story of the defense was the way the linebackers played. Um, we have seen Marquise Bell be a very up-and-down player to this point in his career, um, and he played extremely well. He was – all over the field, very important stops, very important plays in coverage, shutting down yards after catch, etc. Big game from him, but then also a big game from Damone Clark, who turn who plays essentially every snap, which he hasn't really done very often in his career. Plays every snap on the game and played well. And it, with with Leighton Vander Esch out for an extended period. We don't know how long yet with him out for an extended period. You're going to need these young linebackers to step up and play well. And they did. And hopefully that's a sign of things to come at the safety spot. I thought, I thought Dono had his best game of the year. 
Um, he got put in a bad spot in one-on-one coverage against Keenan Allen on one play. Like yeah. you don't want that. Like that's that's a that's a risk they took to try to create some pressure and com- some confusion. And Herbert read it out. And you know you don't want your strong safety, free safety hybrid guy in one-on-one coverage against one of the top you know twelve-ish wide receivers in the league. Like that guy's going to lose that rep almost every time, especially when he's expecting inside help and there's an inside route and it just it's not going to work out very well. Um, other than that, I thought he played his best game. Um, I thought the defense was was good. This is what defense in the NFL looks like 99% of the time. So a lot of fans and folks got accustomed to what the defense looked like in the first couple of weeks of the season and expected that to be what defense looks like. Right. That is not what defense looks like in the league in 2023, especially – when you're playing one of the, you know, three cyborg quarterbacks in the league and what they're capable of. So the defense was fine. They did enough for you to win the game. They got the stop at the end of the game. And that's really what you need them to do is just keep you in the game. And it really shouldn't have been as close as it was, but LA got the, you know, the crazy punt bounce, Jalen Tolbert trying to do the right thing because he thought it was touched and just happened to barely touch the ball right right before the the Chargers player did um, while he's trying to make a hustle play on special teams. Um, and they just happened to get the benefit of that bounce of the ball and turned it into turned it into points right after that. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at a, a game, winning 20 to 10 or 17 to 10 against Justin Herbert. And, you know, you hold Justin Herbert to 10 points and win by, you know, a touchdown or more. And you're like, hey, you know what? This defense played really well that didn't happen. And so so now we're now there are folks that are worried about the defense. I thought the defense was fine. This is defense in 2023. Yeah. No, I mean I, I think I think it was fine too. Like I said like I think I think I guess my frustrating thing and and I could absolutely be wrong here, but the the, the frustrating thing for me is I feel like this head coach in the front office believes that what you said like Oh, that's the first three weeks of the season is not how defense is actually played. I think they think that's how defense is supposed to be played. And like their whole game plan is that the defense is going to create three to four turnovers a game, score a couple touchdowns, and the offense has just got to put up 10. Like that almost feels like their approach to the game. Um, and that's why I want to get into to, to some of this now. Um, like I said, I thought the defense was fine. You know, they, they, I think Justin Herbert helped them out a little bit. I think they were able to lock it down when they needed to in big spots. Um, but I think that this, that this like this 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 opinion that this defense is some like doomsday, you know, prime Ravens, prime Steelers defense. I just don't think that that's accurate. Um, and I think that if they're going to play the game to allow their defense to like control the wins and the losses, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because that's not how defense wins nowadays. The best quarterbacks and the best offenses beat the best defenses pretty much every year in the playoffs. Um, I think that that's pretty – there's enough metrics and tape and stats out there that say that the better offense normally beats the better defense. The better quarterback, the better play caller normally beats the better defense. Um, and I think I don't want this team to get into that spot where they value the defense's performance over the offensive output and game plan. Um, and right now I kind of feel like that's happening. I think what happened before halftime, which is just inexcusable and 
not defensible is, oh, well, feel, we feel fine. Like, if we just score 13 points, our defense has got it. And, sure, they, they played really well and, you know, could have won that game without a fumbled punt, 13-10. But that, that thought process and mindset is going to lose them games down the stretch if it doesn't change, I think. That's kind of my overall take on what's going on right now. <laughs> I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I couldn't agree with you more. I think they have said as much as, you know, they've said the quiet part out loud, as they say. Um, they have said, we believe we're a defensive football team. We believe we're going to go as the defense goes, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a path to losing in the divisional rounds of the playoffs every year is really what it is because – Because even this game, right, the defense played pretty well. You know, we feel good about the way the defense played. Sure. And it still took some crazy hero ball plays from your quarterback. Well, and the worst Justin Herbert performance in some time. Yes. (laughs) And Justin Herbert missing at least two, if not more, throws that he probably makes 80% of the time. It took that combination of things to keep you from losing by two possessions. Yes. Because if Dak doesn't play like the hero, right. if Dak doesn't play Superman ball, they probably score 10 points, maybe, something like that. Absolutely. And then you're losing 21 to 10 or something like that. Like, And so they are on and I talked about it last week on the show. I said there's an existential crisis happening with with the Cowboys fan base. And th- this is a little bit of an extension of it. Is it's okay, at least for me, I felt like Mike McCarthy was doing a good job as the head coach of the football team. Um and then this year he became the play caller. And he is not as good at, we we know we know now we have 6 weeks of evidence. He is not as good of a play caller as Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore is not a perfect play caller, but Mike McCarthy is not as good of a play designer, offensive play caller as Kellen Moore was. And it has also made him a significantly worse head coach. Yeah. And we've now seen multiple times on offense, the last two weeks he just quit on the first half, basically, with like, 20 or 30 seconds left in the half, just decided to quit on the half. Against good teams that can score against points. Against good teams when he spent the first three years of his tenure talking about how important it is just to, to win that, that middle eight, right? To win the last four of the, the first half and the first four of the second half. And how if you win those X percentage of the time, you win the game, et cetera. And instead of calling timeout with eight seconds left and saying, because – you got you have a time I don't the thing is is that I don't know if while he was calling plays he knew hey I've got two timeouts not one I don't know if he knew you know he talked after the game about how the threshold was 7 seconds to try to run two plays there and he decided he wasn't going to push it with 8 seconds left like I I don't it's calling plays is a big job being a head coach is a big job and I don't know that Mike McCarthy is one of the coaches that in the year 2023 can do both. And he, he's suffering in both areas. And it's made the team much more fragile. 
because of it. Uh, simple things as simple as you know the run play on third and four gets nothing. You clearly called that run play because you were planning on going for right. it. You call that run play, you get nothing, and it scares you off of going for it on fourth down. Last week, right? I, I don't I don't think that happens last year with Kellen Moore calling plays. I think they go for it on fourth down there. Yeah, I think Mike McCarthy got a little shell shocked by the play in the backfield. Said, you know what? I don't have a play for fourth and five. I had a play for fourth and two, but I don't like anything at fourth and five. We're going to punt, and I just think it's happened several times. We've talked a lot about the design of the offense as a whole. Um, but, yes, I think that there is a there is a, a problem going on right now with the way this team feels like they can and should win games. And luckily there's 11 weeks left in the season, something like that, 10 games left in the season, 11 games left in the season. They've got their bye week this week. Hopefully, it's it's a situation where they can look at things over the bye week and say, hey, do we feel like we still have that defense that can do those things consistently? And the thing is, is that other than the San Francisco game and a little bit in the in the Cardinals game, they probably feel like they might because they happen to have played the Giants and the Patriots and – the yeah. Jets, right? <laughs> like, so it's really a long way of saying that, yes, you're absolutely right, is that this team feels like they can and should lean on their defense to win games and that the offense's job is to protect the defense by, by being on the field for a long time and all those sorts of things. The problem is, and you would think, like, they hired 15 analytics people this offseason. We were so excited really, really smart people that have been in really great organizations, uh, and they're, they're still operating under this conclusion, uh, is that you know the best thing the offense can do is just stay on the field for a long time. The problem is, is the best thing the offense can do is go score points. Yes. I'm so because, tired hearing about the the uh, – why is it the term blanking on me that everybody wants to talk about? Complimentary football. Uh, yeah, com- yeah. I tweeted out last week. The, yeah, I'm so tired of hearing about the complimentary football thing. Like, you got to run the ball to keep the defense fresh. It's like cool. And then you go run, run, pass, incomplete, and the defense got two minutes of rest. And now they're back on the field. Like, yep, exactly. The stupidest thing I've ever heard. The the, the most thing important thing, the most important thing for an offense to protect their defense is to never go three and out. Yes, score. You points. never go three and out, and your defense is always going to get five minutes, five to ten minutes of rest. Once you factor in, okay, you know, they're and they're always going to have enough time to to do to make any adjustments they need to make, etc. Absolutely, it's a it's a very 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 old school idea that. Because, like, let's look at it this way. If you come out and you go pass, pass, pass on your first three downs, you're still using 40 seconds of real-life time every play. Just like if you go run the ball three times, you're still using 40-minute, 40 seconds of real-life time every play. The only difference is that the game clock doesn't run if you throw three incompletions versus 
if you run the ball three times and stay in bounds and there's no penalty flags, et cetera. Other than that, it's exactly the same from a defense go sit down and get your rest for this amount of time thing. It's an extremely outdated, old, ill-advised way to look at the game that doesn't work in the year 2023. And the team just has to hope, the, the fans just have to hope that either something clicks with the offense and that kind of just says, screw it, I'm just throwing the ball to, to 88 and 3 and 87 every play. Or um, or something changes with the offense and the philosophy and that kind of stuff of, of trying to trying to get back to scoring some more points. Um, and, uh, or you're looking at a, you're looking at another slump in the middle of the season when the defense doesn't play quite as well, because it's going to happen. And you're looking at another, another, you know, relatively early to middle of playoffs exit. Um, unless, you know, your quarterback gets crazy hot in January, which is always a possibility, but you're, you're just, you're not setting yourself up for the, the greatest number of ways to win. I would rather have a team that can score 40 because the offense is crazy explosive or score 40 because the defense is incredible or win 17 to 20 because the defense is really good and the offense can grind it out when they need to. Right now, this team doesn't have that first one. They, this offense cannot go out and outscore a team 42 to 35. And, and that's if, if a team that, scores thirty five on this defense, this team is losing in a, that's in a bad way. That's the frustrating point, is because for years, last year, year before last, and again, I wasn't a like the playoff game, 49ers playoff game. I get people are gonna go, well, what happened there? And and I understand it. The 49ers are really good, and Kellen Moore didn't have his best stuff, and the quarterback didn't have his best stuff. The 49ers have been a boogeyman for this team for some time now. Understand it. But for years, when they needed to go put up 37 and win the game or 40 against Philadelphia or, I mean, they scored 40 against Minnesota last year, like the, when they needed to go put up 30-plus points a game to win a game, they had no problem doing it. They can't score 28 points a game right now to, to win a game where the defense, you know, plays relatively well and gives up 26. Um, so, I mean, again, like I hate to sound like the hot take emotional fan. They're they're 4-2. and two. I, I appreciate the – the efforts of this defense and the, the efforts of this quarterback and some of the playmakers on offense kind of pulling this thing out of the gutter. Um, but I could not be further out on Mike McCarthy as a play caller. Like I said, I don't mind him as a head coach. I think he's good. As you said, you know, average to slightly above average, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the play calling aspect, it looks so much like what was going wrong in green Bay four or five, five or six years ago now. Um, static, asking the quarterback to be a superhero where the offense pretty much was failing uh, routes that are low percentage play designs that are low percentage, not motion, no, no motion at the snap, um, no motion before snap. It's just, it's a lot of static, boring. I mean, you hate to use the word archaic, but just not innovative offense. And that's not going to change in the bye week I don't I think people you know we keep talking about changes in the bye week like they're not going to come out of the bye week and look like the Miami Dolphins I can promise you that but I do think there's things where somebody's going to have to look in the mirror and go okay maybe I need to help get some help here maybe I need to get some new opinions here there whatever that is maybe I just need to use motion more maybe that's something easy but I mean you hate to say that because they had what two illegal motion penalties on 
Monday night, so that didn't go well either. But I don't know. I, I hate to be the emotional, sound like the emotional fan, but I just think it's frustrating because this is the most talented team that the Cowboys have had in a really long time. 2014? I think this is a way better team than 14. Yeah, I, mean, I think the defense on this team is light years ahead, talent-wise, of what that it, was. It's been was in 14. 15, 15, 2007, probably, if we're being honest. That's probably the last time this team had close to the talent. Um, and I was 12 years old. So, <laughs> so, so and, and most of my lifetime, this is the most talented team, and I feel like we're going to be where we've ended the last few years because we're getting archaic offense and – bad play calling, bad play design, some bad coaching decisions. And I'm not blaming it all on Mike McCarthy. I said it on the, I was on a radio show with the guys in Arkansas the other day. Like you can point fingers to a lot of things that are going wrong in this offense right now. You can point, you've been able to point some to the quarterback. You've been able to point some to the receivers. You've been able to point some to the blocking, the running game. But when your quarterback has been off to one of the worst starts of his career, CD lamb was off to one of the slowest starts of his career. Michael Gallup off to one of the worst Brandon cooks, Tony Pollard, the offense line looks bad. That all points back to the guy that's running the whole show. And I mean, again, you can decide who you want to point that finger to, but I know who I'm going to point it at. And again, it can all change. It, it can get better. There's no saying that it can't and that we're doomed and there's no saving it, but it's just going to be a very frustrating into this season. If it ends the way that I hate to say we think it is in week seven, but, or, or week six, but if things don't improve the way that we could envision the season ending, it's going to be a frustrating thing because this team is talented enough, maybe not to win the Super Bowl, but to be an actual contender this year. And I don't want this much talent to be wasted on a coach that can't get it figured out. Yes, I, that's exactly where I am, is that all all of these players are good players. We, you know, We spent quite a while talking about the struggles that Michael Gallup is having. But Michael Gallup has been a productive part of a well-designed offense in his past. And not even a super well-designed, just like a, just like a, a moderately well-designed offense right. at different points in his career. Um, and he, he's been extremely effective in his role. And, you know, C.D. Lamb is one of the best wide receivers in the league. We know that. Brandon Cooks has been effective in – every place he's ever been with every quarterback he's ever played with. We know that these five offensive linemen can all play. We know the quarterback has been one of the five most effective quarterbacks in the NFL over the course of the last five years. And that's like, that's distinctly measurable that he is that there is no way to deny that. Is he the most talented quarterback in the league? No. Is he the most, overwhelming quarterback in the league no but he is one of the most effective quarterbacks in the league on a down-to-down basis and now all of a sudden they change play callers and the offense looks from a statistical standpoint league average there's no reason why an offense with this personnel should be league average and so it points back to one guy. It points back to the play caller. And um, and so unless that gets better, um, and it could, there there haven't been all that many like neutral game script scenario type uh, uh, plays for this offense yet. Um, but if we get more of that and it keeps looking like it's looked, um, 
it's uh it doesn't look great for when we get to December or January, that's for sure. You nailed it. Closing this thing out, sign the kicker to a damn lifetime contract because we finally got ourselves a kicker. Never sign a kicker to a lifetime contract. <laughs> every kicker should be on a one-year contract all the time. Just sign them to one-year deals every year. It doesn't matter. Because because the thing is, and I'm not I'm not jinxing anything, knock on wood here. We we've seen too many kickers be really good for a long time and then all of a sudden can't be good anymore. And so keep them on one year deals forever so you can cycle through them when they become not good anymore. But yes, Brandon Aubrey has been unbelievable. <laughs> yes, he is. I would just go just go sign former MLS players every year. Those guys be kickers. That seems like the way to do it. I also said this on the radio the other day. The uh, the most consistent thing about this team is their inconsistency, but he's probably been the most – him and Brian Anger have been the two most consistent players on this team to start the year. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, that's not really what you want to say when it's your punter and your kicker, but you got to give them their flowers. And, you know, again, you know, you're, we're uh, we're uh, eight months away from not being able to make an extra point, which the field goal to take the lead there and that really won the game was about extra point distance. So thank you, Brandon Aubrey, for helping us not be as depressed as we are right now on this football team by drilling that field goal. And you're doing a great job, buddy. Proud of you. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the thing that's crazy about him is, you know, so many of these kickers have weird ball flights, right? Like Greg Zerline used to have a big draw on the ball. You know, so many yeah. of these guys have a big fade, all that kind of stuff. Uh this dude's ball just flies straight. Yeah, and it's really- so like it's it's so um it takes all the anxiety out of the situation because yeah. he kicks it and you're like, oh that one's good. Yeah. Like you don't have to be like, oh, are you gonna come back? Is it gonna come back? You, you know uh, right away. If the exactly. one I think the first extra point he missed in the regular season, you're like, that ain't close. And the the floodgates open and you're like, get this guy off the football team. And then everything else has been like right down the middle. And we're like, all right, thank you. Keep doing that. <laughs> Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, we had to end it on a positive note, and Brandon Aubrey gets the uh, positive pat on the back to to close out the show. We'll be back next week, like I said, in the middle of a bye week. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of break down a couple more things about this team going forward. You know, preview some of the matchups they got coming up. It's tough tough schedule coming out of the bye week, and some some good opponents. Um, if they can win some of these tough games, and you got the Eagles who are playing some tough teams, the 49ers who got some tough games coming up. They can they can make some of these adjustments that we're talking about and play a little bit cleaner, better football. Um, they got a shot to to is 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 I hate to say doom and gloom because I don't think we're doom and gloom, but but as low as we have a feeling on some of the things that this team's doing, like if they can figure some of these things out and win some of these tough games and then have Philly and forty the 49ers drop some, they still have a shot at number one seed. You know, I still think this team's a playoff team one way or the other. Um but we're trying to see what we've been saying it for six weeks now, but we're trying to see what the ceiling of this team is. And we haven't really been getting the warm and fuzzies that, that they're in the tier that we thought they could be in, but we got a couple of, couple of good shows coming up in the bye week you know, make sure you're checking out all the other shows on the blog and the boys podcast network. We thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing. Uh, make sure you do hit subscribe on the, the podcast platform that you're listening on. We appreciate that. We appreciate you guys. And we'll be back next week on the top of the star podcast. See you then.
first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.